Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Udon Cheek, assistant track and field coach at East Carolina University. You are plugged into the Sports Objective Podcast. If you are a fan, you are plugged into the right place. And if you're really a fan, you will share that link. My heart is purple and gold. I'm a pirate down to my soul. And I don't back down, not at all. Find out when the cannons explode. Boom! It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Well, I'm happy to be on it. I'm, uh, it's uh, not very usual that an old offensive line can just bite his back somewhere. So I'm happy to be back on your broadcast after uh, having been on a couple of years ago. That's right. Welcome in, everybody, live on Facebook, Facebook Live, and on the, our YouTube channel. We have a legendary coach, Coach Bill Curry. Coach, it's such an honor. We were talking right before the show that uh, I think it was July of 2018, and you came on, and you were fantastic. And I, I can't believe it's been two years since you've been on, but you're all one of our all-time favorite guests, and so glad that you were. Give us the honor to have you back. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it's great to still be around to come back. Well, you just told me you're 77 years young. I hope you don't mind, but I was amazed. You look fantastic, and... I was telling uh, Coach before the show, guys, that he must stay active because uh, I'm sure you can work circles around me. It doesn't take much. Well, uh, I uh, just think about it. Imagine I played offensive center for 20 years, and my job was to hike the ball and be run over slowly. <laughs> but just think about how many times I was hit in the head. So when you think about that, then you realize you need to get out and keep the blood circulating so that stuff doesn't stop up there where all those bruises and knots are. So um, there's a strong incentive to keep moving. No doubt. Coach, Coach, uh, we had a big show last week. I was telling you before we started on legendary Coach Pat Dye, unfortunately passing away at the age of 80 on June 1, and uh, had a big show. What were your thoughts on Coach Pat Dye? Well, he was a great. He was a great player. First, um, first time I ever saw him, he was a senior at uh, Georgia, and uh, I was a senior in high school. I was on the sideline. No, no, I, the, the game was in Athens, so I was in the stands. My, my my father had gone to Georgia, and my grandparents lived over there, and everybody assumed that I would go there. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I was really very interested in them, but. The score of the game was seven to six, and uh, Pat Dye blocked the extra point, and he came off the corner to do it. Now, how many people take an offensive guard wow. and put him on the outside because he can run like a corner? He, I mean, he was like lightning. That that just struck me. That was my first impression. And then from then on, it was all downhill for me because <laughs> I ended up coaching against him, and we – we got our you-know-what kicked every time. I don't think we ever beat Pat Dye. And uh, he just – he could – if he decided to run the triple option, they ran it well enough to win. And if they decided to go away from the triple option and throw the football, they did that well enough to win. They just – he just uh, had a gift for coaching ball. And um, I uh, he added a lot to our game. Coach, you, uh, you coached against uh... – Pat, and uh, I, I guess when you were at Alabama, and he was at Auburn, was it? Were you were you at Kentucky when he Kentucky. was at Auburn also? 
No, I was at Georgia Tech when he was at Auburn, and then I was at Alabama. And, okay. Uh, we we came close several times, but we never beat him. Okay. He just had him. He, he did a great job with his team. He really kind of flipped that Alabama Auburn rivalry. I mean, before he got there, it was so one sided in favor of Alabama. Well, uh, yeah, he did that. Uh, he and Ray Perkins were two and two, but uh, then when it flipped is when I was there because we were <laughs> zero and three, and I'm not proud of that at all. Every every one of the games was close, but uh, you got to win. And that game, and that business over there, if you're the coach at one of those schools, you better win. And uh, he did, and we didn't. Talk about the how hard is it to uh, coach in the SEC? I know that, for example, David Cutcliffe. I hope it's okay to tell the story, but I know uh, his wife loves him being coaching at Duke because at one time when he was at Ole Miss. They had four sell signs like they were selling their house when, uh, and as great a coach as he is. And I think he did a fantastic job in Mississippi at Ole Miss. Uh, just goes to show you that the pressure you have of being a coach in SEC, it really stuck with me when I heard that story. Well, when I played, Georgia Tech was in the SEC. So I'm, I've always loved the league and I've always thought it was the toughest and the best league. So I love the competition, even though it is hard. Yeah, it's hard. Um, anything that's worth doing is hard. So uh, I, it was a it was a thrill to get back in the SEC and to uh, do our best to try to represent um, uh, what football is supposed to look like. And I, 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 we always hoped that we could do better, but uh, it was not to be. And at at Kentucky, uh, we came, again we came close. But um, if you want to find out what you're made of, then you go up against the best and sometimes what you learn is it's not fun coach are you are you um i don't say surprised or what is the word i'm going to look for i guess i'll go with surprise or, or, or did, did you think coach stoops would be able to stabilize kentucky football the way he has and win uh starting to be long term there i did um i, I i've said that when i went there and, and what, the whole time we were there People say, well, you know, you can't win at Kentucky in football because of basketball. But I think it's just the opposite. I think uh, and we got we were lucky that Rick Patino was great to us. He would he would he would help us get. I mean, we'd have recruits that come in that were big league players. And we knew the only reason they came was because they wanted to go to Rupp Arena and watch the basketball team. But that gave us a chance to recruit them. And we got some of them. Um, I just think uh, I'm not sure how Stoops is. Uh, I'm not sure what he did different than other coaches, but I've always believed that it could be done there. And I think he has. I told him this last week. I uh, went up there for a FCA event. Um, he's got a special gift with with those guys. They play really hard, and whatever they have to do, uh, if they have to line up and, and put a receiver at quarterback, which they did last year, <laughs> and run him every down, they're still going to give you all you want, and, and they're going to win more than their share. And he's finding a way to do that, and that's what football coaching should be. So I, I'm i really um, happy for Mike and, and his guys that they're getting it done up there. But I always thought, I've always thought you, you could do it there. And one of the reasons, Coach, is it because of the actual – League, the fact that if it's East Carolina or if it's somebody in the ACC, 
and you have a chance to go to Kentucky and play in the SEC against when you're talking about great competition, doesn't that help you as well, the league you're playing in, if you're recruiting a player? I think so, and, and I think it, it affects the kind of player you get. If there's somebody that thinks it's going to be too hard, that's not who you want. You want the guy who's licking his chops. He can't wait to take on Florida and Tennessee and Alabama and Auburn. Um, it's just a, it's a mindset, and there are people that have been dominant in the league. Coach Dodd was for a long time. Uh, Coach Bryant was for a long time. Coach Jordan was. And then uh, Coach Dye and others, uh, people that do that, you know they've gone up against the best. Coach, with uh, COVID-19, I was listening to SiriusXM College uh, ESPNU Radio today, I guess SEC show, and they were talking about regional competition and they were talking about the leagues. Um, do you see uh, uh, maybe in the next couple of years where maybe we see another realignment and this time it's based on – maybe financials where people were saying, well, we can't afford to be in this league because we're flying thousands of miles for all our different teams for this sport and that sport. And uh, they were talking about today about having more maybe regional rivalries again. Well, that would make a lot of sense financially. And I think there, uh, I don't think it takes a brain surgeon to figure out that uh, an awful lot of uh, the revenue that college sports have uh, enjoyed for the last gosh long as we can remember i think it's going to be a lot different now i don't i mean you'd have to be an idiot to not see that but but i mean even when the stands can fill up again and none of us knows if and when that's going to happen even when they can fill up again i think that folks have gotten used to watching things on television and I think people will find out that it's pretty fun to stay home and be able to run to the refrigerator uh, every five minutes rather than having to fight the crowd and go up to the nosebleed section and uh, make noise for your team. I hope I'm wrong because I don't want the stands to empty. I don't want the stands to be half full. I mean, I want the big house and, the, and, and all the different uh, great stadiums all over America to fill up again. But I think it's going to be harder than it has ever been before. No, I'm with you. And, and I think, um, unfortunately, I think people around Babe's age and my age are the last generation that really cares about being there. Everybody younger than us seems to be so locked into convenience and social media that, you know, even when they're there, they're playing on their phone about 50% of the time. Well, I was, I was going to bring that up. I mean, you see, you see people. Um, I mean, you see people sitting in the stands in Green Bay, Wisconsin, on the fifty-yard line, and they're staring at their phone. They're not watching Aaron Rodgers. My gosh, you know it's uh, yeah, like you say, at your age group. That, that I don't know quite exactly what age y'all are, but I mean, you're you're young, but you're not too young, um, and you you've been around, you've seen enough of the real thing to know that that is really the most fun. Exactly, Coach, I was telling them when uh, when I was going to East Carolina, I'm 47, so in the 90s, when I was going there, middle, early to mid-90s, we didn't have internet. We didn't have a lot of the stuff now, exactly what you're talking about. And so, like now, there's a lot of the three guys on this podcast, we go to the ball games. If we're playing Podunk State or whoever we're playing, 
Um, and then there's some people, they only go because it's the big ACC school we're playing or it's some regional rivalry or it's, you know, a big name. Yeah. Cincinnati, UCF, the best, you know, teams in our league in the American. Um, but it's not because of we're going there to watch East Carolina football. It's because of whatever other school, maybe, uh, maybe more casual fans, but I do agree with you, coach. Uh, I heard uh, back in 2014, I was asking about what it would cost to, have the whole network for the whole stadium as far as the internet is concerned. And I think that would back then that was six years ago. It was about $8 million. It would, it would cost the university. And I was saying, well, and in our case, we're hardcore fans, but there are a lot of people that were trying to get that. And in addition to that, the millennials and the, even the 20 something, the college age kids now that if they don't have some of these luxuries that we take for granted, I guess we don't care about as much, then they're not going to come. Well, they've just been, they've been brought up that they're they've been trained that this is their birthright. <laughs> they're <laughs> supposed to get all this stuff, um, and it's not their fault. Uh, if you want to blame somebody, you have to blame not my generation because I'm still trying to figure out how to use this phone. But I mean, the generation that really understands the technology, like my son and daughter, it's their generation. It's their fault. <laughs> but, Coach, we. We have a comment we put up on the screen for you from Craig Utt, uh, one of our viewers. He said, Coach Curry is the best. I never forgot him showing up at our house in Vidalia, Georgia, to recruit my brother Ben and wearing the Super Bowl rings. Great coach, better person. <laughs> the Utts are wonderful folk. Uh, they, um, that was a special time. I was an assistant coach at Tech at the time, and um, Craig is the uh, younger brother of uh, Ben Utt. I think he's younger, and Ben is this big old six. Well, I say big, six four, hundred ninety five pounds. He wasn't big enough, and the other coaches on the staff kept saying, "Well, what's he going to play?" I said, "I don't know. He's going to play something though, because he's a straight A student, and he'll knock your teeth out." And that's <laughs> it's the kind of guy we need to get. And so there was there was a little skepticism, but they finally decided, "Okay, old Ben, we'll we'll give him a scholarship." By the time Ben was a sophomore, he was 235, and he was he was a starting offensive guard. And by the time he was senior, he was 290. And when he wow. started eight years in a row for the Indianapolis Colts, he was about 300 pounds. <laughs> he is just a great person. He's back, and he's done very well in business. And so we, lo- we love all the Uts. Coach, uh, I don't know if Kyle remembers, but we had you on before. I, I know you talked about uh, Coach Lombardi. Uh, but they're in Green Bay, and I heard you say Green Bay brought that to mind. Uh, I know that he was uh, very hard on you, right? I remember we talked about that a couple years ago. <laughs> you could say he was hard on us, yeah. Um, Henry Jordan's great statement, our um, Hall of Fame defensive tackle, uh, was that he was a real wit. He never said this in front of Coach, but uh, he'd sit in the back of the locker room and he'd say, you know, he treats us all the same, like dogs. Uh, that was that was the standard line that Henry uh, used. But Lombardi was interested in one thing, and he was interested in maximizing every ounce of your energy. Bart Starr went running out of the first quarterback meeting when Lombardi reported in 1959 and called his wife. This is after one hour with this young guy from from the New York Giants with a, an Italian name, and Bart calls his wife, Cherry, and says, we're going to win. 
we're going. She said, "What do you mean? You hadn't been. You don't even know the guy yet." She, he said, "I know the guy. We're going to win." What Lombardi had done is walked in the first meeting, and he had said, "We are going to strive for perfection." Because we're human beings, we're never going to achieve perfection. But in striving for, for, for perfection, we will capture excellence. And we're going to do it all day, every day. And nothing will keep us from reaching that. And somehow that reached inside the hearts of those guys. And everybody who came through there uh, learned the same lessons. And uh, he just had that capacity. And plus, he was he was brilliant. He was a genius. And... Uh, he could reach inside your soul and make you do things you didn't think you could do. And that's what great coaches are for. Speaking of uh, great coaches, Coach, um, you uh, you had a hand in uh, building the, the Georgia State program down in uh, Atlanta. And uh, John Elliott's doing a good job there now. Uh, they got their own stadium there. The old Turner Field is now uh, Georgia State's football stadium. And uh, we, uh, the Pirates, take on the Georgia State Panthers in non-conference game this year, provided he gets played. Uh, down in down in Atlanta. Uh, so, what, what do you think about the state of Georgia State football right now? Uh, year four for Coach Elliott, taking them to two bowl games in two to three years, and um, they got a lot coming back. Well, Sean's done several things that uh, that had to be done. One was to go into a SEC stadium and beat somebody, and uh, when they beat Tennessee, that was not that was nothing fluky about that. I was I was at home that day. Because uh, I wanted to watch it, and you you could ask my wife, uh, who refuses to watch football. She said, "I've watched seven hundred football games with you. I'm not watching another one unless I just really want to." So she's back there reading books or something, and I start yelling, and I said, "Come here, you got to watch this." She said, "Well, it's the middle of the first quarter." I said, "I don't care. We're going to beat the balls today because we are whipping them at the line of scrimmage, and that's what Sean had done." Sean had an offensive line last year that was and a terrific quarterback in Ellington. I wish I wish he was going to come back. They are keeping him as an assistant coach. But the other thing they have is some of the stuff you have to have to get the better players in this part of the world, and that is a gorgeous stadium. That stadium, what what I can't believe what they've done with that thing. And I'd love to take credit. I had nothing to do with it. It was all after we left. But they took the Braves Stadium and turned it into one of the most beautiful football venues. I think it's 44,000, so it's perfect size because mm-hmm. you don't want to be bouncing around the 60,000-seat stadium that you can't fill up. You want to be eventually uh, be able to fill it up, and I think they will. And I think, um, I think it's going to continue to add a great deal to the campus, but don't ever forget this about Georgia State. The only reason they had a football program is because the students demanded it, and they got fifty-three thousand students. So, wow. and one problem—it's um, the tough thing for those kids—is um, they all work and they have to work on Saturdays. And I'd go around and say, "Come on, come to the game Saturday." Well, Coach, I got to go ten bar. I can't. I can't come, but, but I will be pulling for you. So. I think the kids will start coming more and more, and, and it'll continue to build. Now, Georgia State, is their campus? Oh, and another thing, the guys, the guys that came there with our first bunch, virtually all of them have graduated. That's that's the thing I'm most proud of. Is it, Georgia State's campus, without having been on their campus, 
Is it kind of right in the middle of the city, and and is it more of a commuter or is it dorms? Kyle, you broke up a little bit on that. I said, uh, I said, without having been on their campus, I said, is is Georgia State's campus kind of in the middle of the city? It's smack in the middle of the city, and uh, I grew up. My wife and I both grew up with. Her mom and my dad worked in downtown Atlanta every day. They both rode the trolley from College Park, Georgia, and would go to downtown. And in those days, downtown was magic. It was all kind of, it was like Disney World or something. Beautiful theaters and something always going on, something fun. And then, of course, it went away. It became a, a ghost land. And Georgia State has given it a lot of life back. Um, and uh, it's just a, it's a great thing for all concerned. Georgia State graduates more minority students than any college in America other than historically black wow. universities and colleges. Wow. And so it's a great, a great social service, giving kids an opportunity to go to school because you can work your way through that place. And um, you don't have to have big bucks to do it. Coach, I had a a question as far as uh, what I'm impressed with is that you you built a program. And you look at the likes of, I know you're a Georgia Tech guy. You have Georgia. You have all the schools in the SEC. And then there's Georgia State. And all of a sudden, what's great, I've always loved underdogs. And I'm glad the Pirates have a chance to play Georgia State. Um, Well, ask me after October. Um, that game. But anyway, um, the fact that you built that program, you've got to be proud of the success, the stadium. What's next? What do you see next? You're a visionary. What's next for uh, for the Panthers? Well, they have to win consistently and um, they uh, they need to stack some more big wins. And we started off immediately giving ourselves a chance and getting our nose bloodied. But, I mean, if you go to Alabama, uh, and and we went to Tennessee uh, early, either our second or third year, and we got whipped both of those. But the guys were so happy to be there. I mean, I I had kids. I thought they'd be intimidated, and I was going to have to pump them up. They're running up to me in warm-ups with tears in their eyes. saying, God, Coach, thanks for bringing us up. They couldn't wait to try to see if they could take those guys on. Well, they still have that attitude, and now they're better players. They're bigger, faster, stronger. So I think they got to beat some big schools. They've got to prove that they can win consistently, and uh, they've got to continue to grow the bowl thing, and when they get to the bowl, to win the game. Another thing that's pretty cool is Georgia Southern moved up to FBS you know, after being dominant along with App State and, and SoCon, and joined the Sun Belt. So now you you got a rivalry building there between Georgia Southern and Georgia State. Yeah, and uh, rivalries are not rivalries unless both teams are capable of winning. And, uh, and so if Georgia Southern was still just hammering Georgia State, then it wouldn't be a rivalry. But Georgia State has won some of those games, and so um, then people get their teeth set, and it's fun. I mean, people start to really get into the rivalry, and it's a who is the real GSU? 
that's a good good question. Now, Coach Curry, um, a moment ago you, you were talking about your Green Bay Packer experience and you referenced, you used that word locker room. Uh, one of the things that I've really liked that I've seen from former players and coaches, current players and coaches here over the last two or three weeks with everything that's going on in our world is just talking about how the um, the football locker room, if, if our society and our world was more like most football locker rooms, uh, we would all – be better off and the world will be a better place. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts are many and it's, it changed my life because when I reported to the Green Bay Packers in 1965, I'd never been in a huddle with an African-American person. Never. Yeah. I mean, I had played in a couple of all-star games and maybe a, a few plays, uh, but I mean, on a team. And I thought those guys and Vince Lombardi was famous for a lot of things, but his greatest asset is that he would not tolerate racism at all because he'd been discriminated against and he knew it because he was an Italian Catholic. People told him, you'll never be a head coach. Forget it. We're not going to hire you. You're Catholic. You're Italian. Well, he remembered that stuff and he wouldn't tolerate any kind of racism or prejudice. So we have more African-American players than most. And um, but they didn't um, they didn't abuse me or they didn't uh, beat up on me or give me a hard time. They embraced me, especially Willie Davis, the defensive captain, taught me how to talk. What are the things you say if you're a southern boy, a southern white boy? What are the things you better not say? I didn't know. I I thought I'd probably say something racist. And I did. And but rather than to respond with anger, they said, all right, now think now, listen, don't say that. Say this. And they literally changed my life forever. That's what can happen in a locker room. Look, I could go and be a college coach, which this is something I enjoyed doing. I could take a kid from South Central Los Angeles and a kid from the hills of North Georgia. And they've been raised by our sick culture to hate each other's guts, right? They don't listen to the same kind of music. They don't go to the same kind of church. They don't talk the same way. They don't comb their hair the same way. They think they're supposed to hate each other. They're 17 years old and they're babies, but they're 300 pounds and they can run. And somebody told them they're going to play in the NFL. I can take those two guys and put them next to each other in the locker room. And remember your football experience. We can't even get our shirt on in football without our teammate helping us. We can't get our shirt off without our teammate helping us. And I've had those guys come to me and say, I'm not, I'm not dressing next to him, coach. I say, oh, yes, you are. They say, you can't do that. I say, I can do anything I want to. I'm the head coach. <laughs> you, you can go home if you want to, or you can stay and be on our team. But you're going to dress where I tell you. And guess what? They find out the sweat smells the same on everybody. And they get busted in the mouth and they, and that blood that's coming out, it's the same. And after a while, they realize not only do they not hate each other, they love each other. They help each other through the hardest drills in the world. Football is the most demanding sport in the world because every player needs every teammate on every play just to survive, especially if you're in a tough league. And those guys that thought they hated each other, they end up loving each other. And it lasts the rest of their life. 
And my greatest joy is that I hear from them pretty much every day now. I didn't expect that. And that's that's one of my great, aside from my family, uh, that's my greatest joy is hearing from those guys. That coach, you have a lot of sons, one of the, right? Yeah, I do. No, Dave, what I was going to follow up with uh, here in the last couple of days, I, I saw a little 10-minute clip on, on ESPN, uh, very good. I had not seen, of, seen it before or heard of the story on the Black 14 at Wyoming there in like 68 or 69. That was, a, that was a tremendous clip. Yeah, that's a great story, and that's that's the kind of thing. That's another kind of thing that can happen in our sport. Coach Curry, we have uh, one of our top fans, one of our friends, James Curry, uh, James Smith, who said, Coach Curry, I loved you on ESPN. Oh, thank you. Um, ESPN was a great experience. I, I get a chance to critique the coaches. <laughs> I got criticized by my bosses. They said, we want you to be harder on the coaches. I said, well, you got the wrong guy. I'm not going to get somebody fired because that board of trustees listens to those broadcasters. When you start saying somebody's a bad coach, you're, t- you're talking about taking his job. And so, But I love critiquing the games, and I'm so glad, uh, James, I think that was your name. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I, I loved doing those broadcasts. Coach, got to hear you do several East Carolina games over the years. Um uh, what are your thoughts on current East Carolina head coach Mike Houston? I'm sure you're familiar with him. Well, I'm not. I've lost touch, and I'm, I'm embarrassed about that. I, I can talk a lot about Steve Logan, I'll tell you that. Man, was he fun. It was fun to do games with Logan because you never knew what he was going to do. He was so smart. Um, but we used to say this um, uh, about a couple of coaches. There were just two or three coaches and I, and I didn't, this was not original with me. I got this from somebody at ESPN, but the, we used to say the rest of those coaches are playing checkers. This guy's playing chess. He's just a different, this guy's got a different level of IQ, but uh, no, I'm sorry. I, most of the modern coaches uh, were still in diapers when I was coaching. Gotcha. Well, yeah, coach Logan was great. That, those were great times when, when he was here, uh, Obviously, the you know, guys like David Garrard played for him, and uh, you yep. know, great, great memories. Uh, uh, one of one of his former assistants is O line coach. I don't know Georgia boy. You know Steve Shankweiler. Um, oh, I, I remember Steve. Uh, yeah, I've known he, him for a long time. He he's back on Mike Houston's staff here at East Carolina for his Good. fourth go around yeah. with the Pirates. <laughs> well, that's it's a it's a beautiful place. Uh, I was I've been invited over there to speak a couple of times uh, to the coaches and the team. And uh, is it's one of those places that you don't hear much about, but you probably should. Yeah, we had a, you're right. We have a comment from a former All-American at East Carolina. I know he a letter winner. Uh, the EC wrestling team, Mike Raffer said, what is more bonding side by side in rice paddies, jungles of South Vietnam or locker rooms of athletic teams? Are you kidding me? Well, if, when you're in South Vietnam, that's war. That's real. Football is uh, a petting zoo. I mean, we go out there and knock each other around, and then we shake hands. Uh, but when you're in war, that's the real thing. So, no, I, I wouldn't pretend that it's anything like combat. I'm sure combat is the much 
much greater bonding place. And uh, God bless all the guys that did that. Um, my dad did it, and um, wow, no, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't go there. Yeah, and, you know, oftentimes you hear that comparison of, uh, you know, I've heard several people say it's going to be a war and and all that, and you know they don't they don't mean it like that. But I oftentimes wonder, you know, particularly when you're playing the service academy, if you should use that dialogue. Yeah, well, in a war, uh, that means somebody's not going to get to go home. And uh, we played a game, and we got up after the game and shook hands. And maybe the worst thing is somebody might uh, shove you in a pileup or kick you in a bad place. Um, that's not war. So let's not kid ourselves. Exactly. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of having I've had the privilege of playing football. And um, if, I'd, if I'd have been in combat, I, I'm sure I would be uh, even much closer to my combat uh, buddies. Coach, I had one question. Uh, certainly, so they brought, something was brought up this morning. I heard about expanding the playoff teams from four to eight, and they're saying now that maybe that won't happen because of COVID-19. Are you in favor of the expansion of the playoff to eight teams? Well, I wasn't in favor of the playoff. Um, I'm, I'm, I think there was a certain purity to college football need to turn it into another NFL. Uh, because the, first of all, you don't have enough players. My, it's my opinion. Now if we added those games and somebody's going to have to play 15 games. Then we need to add scholarships because the human body gets beat down. And um, in the NFL, all you got to do is play football. You're not going to chemistry labs. You're not staying up in the morning and studying for calculus. Uh, but the way in college, if you go all the way, and I, I just think that's not the best use of student athletes' bodies. But nobody nobody cares about that. And so we keep adding, and I think we probably will add teams and play more games. But uh, And I do think that the coronavirus is going to, slow that process down by several years. Coach James had another question. I had, I guess, a comment before. Now, question, can y'all ask Coach Curry about his win against the Bear in 1981? (laughs) That was, uh, we got lucky, and that's the truth. I mean, we just got lucky, and um, Coach Bryant was very gracious uh, until the next year when they came to Grant Field and beat us 42-3. to three. Uh, And uh, he was still very gracious. <laughs> it was very clear who the boss was. We had a, we had a real good game um, in, in Birmingham. And I remember Ken Wisenhunt made a big play uh, down the sideline. And um, we, Alabama didn't have their best day. And um, it was something we could remember forever. No doubt about it. And, uh, Coach, as far as uh, your coaching career, is there anything uh, left in the tank? Is there anything you haven't done as far as football that you would love to do? Uh, 
well, I, if I had if I had a chance, I'd love to beat Auburn at something sometime. If we had to, if we had to play badminton or something, but because it's, <laughs> they were just they were just tough on us wherever we were coaching. But um, no, I I think uh, at my age and stage, I just thank God that I got the privilege of working with thousands and thousands of great young people, and some of them, a few of them were females. I mean. Uh, females worked in our our daughter worked in a couple of our programs in sports information or and the, and the, the ladies would help in the uh, the assistant trainers um, or in the equipment room so it's it was male and female obviously much much more many more males and to have been a part of their lives is uh, next to my faith and family that's the most that's the best thing that ever happened to me absolutely Bobby, did you have coach, anything coach? Yeah, as we're wrapping this up, Coach, um, I know two years ago when you were on, we mentioned his name, and uh, he's certainly one of our favorites at East Carolina. He was on Skip Holt's staff, Rosa McNeil's staff, and also spent one year on Scotty Montgomery's staff, and that's, of course, Rick Smith, who was on your staff at the University of Kentucky. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, uh, can you share – do you have a story maybe you could share about Coach Smith or, or some thoughts? Uh-huh. Well, I, Rick um, is just one of the pure, great football coaches and great human beings that I ever had on my staff. And in, anywhere I've ever coached, um, once you had, and we brought him as a uh, from a high school in North Florida to Georgia Tech, and um, I think he was a volunteer coach the first year. Then he quickly proved himself but anywhere I ever coached I had two or three four guys that I would always look for well where is he because if I can get him I'm gonna get him and Rick was one of those and uh, I love him like a brother and uh, and his whole family same same way he can flat coach football yes you can you gotta go live one of the uh you, you you never have to to wonder where Rick stands on something. He's always going to shoot straight, and uh, his his daughter Beth is a fan of the uh, the show and uh, love Coach Smith. We've got to get him back on yeah. for sure. Yeah, Rick's Rick's a great human being, and all of his family. You're right, Beth and all of them. Coach, thank you so much for spending the time, and uh, hopefully we we'll get you back on. Maybe it's the time of uh, college football season. What an honor to have you back on and uh, definitely appreciate the time and the visit. Thank you so much. Well, that'd be great. Maybe we'd actually have some football to talk about. Nice I would love that. Yes. Okay. Well, <laughs> thanks for it. having me, guys. I really appreciate it. God thanks. bless you yes, all. Okay. God Bye-bye. bless you, too. All right. Bye-bye, Coach. All right, Coach Bill Curry. Thank you, Coach, for uh, being there. And now we're going to bring in a very special guest, right, Bubba? Yeah, Hank Harewood, he's an East Carolina alum. There he is. Uh, all right. But yeah, in addition to being a pirate, uh, he, he has an Elon law degree and now is the second in command down at Winthrop uh, with the Eagles, the Division One athletic program, of course. Hank, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Um, you know, I was excited. I figured, boy, uh, the lack of sports is, is hurting everybody. You know, when you guys have to call me for content, you just must be hurting. But I'm, I'm glad that, uh, 
that you had me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. Of course, Bob, always glad to get the chance to talk to you and Kyle and Dave. Great to see you guys as well. Yeah, Hank, it's, it's not bad to have Bill Curry as your opener next, huh? You know, I was thinking <laughs> about that coming on. So I was uh, at FIU in 2015. Um, uh, I think it was Miguel Hernandez was there. I was at FIU, the, the uh, big baseball fundraiser. And uh, the baseball coach, famous college baseball coach, Turtle Thomas, was speaking, and he and I were good friends. And uh, he he was introducing the administrators and skipped over me on accident, went ahead to some of our, our honored guests. Uh, and it was, uh, I think, Miggy was there. And then he saw me and said, oh, and uh, Hank Harrow, our associate athletic director, is here as well. And then he kept going down the line, and the next person was Charles Johnson, uh, the famous catcher. Uh, and I, I looked at my wife and I said, that's probably the only time I'll be introduced between two guys like that ever again. So here I am following Coach Curry, and that's a, that's a big honor for sure. Absolutely, Hank. We want to have you on. We uh, One of the things that we pride ourselves on is a great guest, and you're another one. And uh, certainly we have uh, people say to us on the street all the time that find out who we are or the people that do know us, how in the world do you get the great guests? How are And I said, well, Bubba has worked his uh, tail off, and I know Kyle from – He'll get Kyle loves wrestling, so whenever we get a wrestling guest, we get, we lean on him, find a wrestling guest and uh, different That's ones. But, and the fact that you have an East Carolina connection, can you talk about that first off? Yeah, and I'll tell you, I love the podcast. I've listened uh, quite a bit, so I love it. I love to be on here and yeah. uh, East Carolina connection. To, to say the least, I've got East Carolina family. Um, uh, you know, my my parents have both been in Greenville for well over forty years. Uh, Tennessee, East Carolina. My mom didn't graduate. Dad did. My dad later worked there for a while. Aunt and uncle met there. Um, my brother and I both went there, graduated from there. Um, it, you know, I love East Carolina. Uh, one of my favorite stats, uh, you know, I, sh- I used to share people more often than I do now, but uh, from 1991, that Peach Bowl year, from 1991 until I moved away uh, in 2013 from North Carolina, I did not miss an East Carolina home game. So, a uh, little uh, ECU connection, ECU family for sure, um, and that's uh, obviously something I, uh, Bubba and I bond over. And and my wife, uh, she was really patient with me the first several years we were dating when I, from law school, would drag her back over to Greenville for football games because she was also an East Carolina alum and a really big fan. And uh, Elon, uh, being where you got your law degree, that the uh, great football program there as well. Yeah, no doubt, and and um, you know. Uh, aside from that, some really, really wonderful people in that athletics department. Uh, really talented athletic director and really wonderful people around him that are just good folks. So I had a, a great opportunity when I was in law school to work in that athletics department um, uh, for about a year. Uh, the, the guy I worked for is still there. We still talk regularly. He's a great, great guy, and so are a lot of other people over there. So fond memories at Elon Athletics as well. Talk about what you're up to now, uh, certainly with uh... – there's so many division ones. I was talking to Bubba about that earlier today. I'm very proud of the fact in North Carolina, so many great schools in North Carolina division one. It's amazing. It's almost like we're up there with the big boys as far as states of California and, and Texas and Florida. The number of division one schools we have is amazing. Yeah. Tons in North Carolina and, and Winthrop is actually just over the line in Rock Hill, South Carolina. That's right, South Carolina. Um, That's right. But, that. but hey, a lot of great schools in South Carolina as well. Um, you know, growing up in North Carolina, I was a typical North Carolina sports kid, right? And so, uh, I, I always watched the ACC tournament, though I did not, um, uh, root hard like a lot of other kids in elementary school. Like I said, my parents were East Carolina folks, so were my aunt and uncle. Uh, I was born and raised in Greenville. 
um, a lot of purple and gold in my life. And so, you know, I, but I remember watching that, you know, and, and oftentimes by the time the ACC basketball tournament uh, had rolled around, I was heavily invested in pirate baseball. So, um, you know, uh, really special sports scene, uh, really unbelievable schools and really schools at, at all levels that are doing a terrific job, right? There's obviously the, the Titans, uh, North Carolina and Duke, but, but then boy, you look around and, and Appalachian State and what they've done, incredible program, incredible leadership. Mike Hill at Charlotte is a friend and in my opinion, one of the most talented athletic directors I've ever been around. Uh, obviously <clears throat> East Carolina. Um, and, and what East Carolina does, I'm, I'm very familiar with. So, you know, there's just a lot of depth, like you mentioned. And, and then in South Carolina, right, um, real similar. There's South Carolina and Clemson, uh, but then there's unbelievable programs all over the place past that with Coastal, College of Charleston, Citadel. I mean, a really rich area, uh, Charleston Southern, uh, who's in our league in the big South Conference uh, down in Charleston. Um, and then, you know, USC Upstate's been a great addition. They're not far from us. Uh, play some good hoops and and um, somebody who knows the East Carolina athletic director uh, real well is the AD at USC Upstate. They're they're doing a great job and and you know we're lucky at Winthrop to kind of fit in. Uh, I, I love the athletics history of Winthrop. We lose Hank. Yes, yeah, got lagging there a second. We'll see if we. He's in mid thought there. I guess he, <laughs> it's almost like we hit pause. Yeah. Uh, there. Get him back here a second. Hey, if you can hear us, uh, you, you're froze on our end. All right. Let's see what we got. Hank, are you still there? Yeah. You guys got me. Um, right, there we go. You're back. All right. Sorry about I got that. You now. Yeah. My wife's back there working too. I'm going to have to tell her to get off the internet. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm glad at Winthrop we have the opportunity to kind of fit in where we do and where we can. Uh, great basketball tradition, uh, great baseball tradition, really strong programs there now, um, and just really strong athletics across the board. But I tell everybody, you know, I love Winthrop so much because the campus culture, uh, the things we're about as an institution go, go, uh, so much deeper than what may meet the eye traditionally in athletics. And I love being able to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, I think what any of us ever want professionally, right, is to do things we're invested in and care about and believe in and to do that with people that, um, you know, we like, and so I, I have unbelievable. Uh, we lost him again. Yeah, we'll see if we can. The bandwidth down in Rock Hill is not so good. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. There we go. We got you. I, I might, I might need to um, restart my internet there. I've never had issues. Of course, I'd wait till tonight uh, to give me some trouble, but it seems like uh, that's good. the way. That's the way it goes. Yeah, I, 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 my dog hasn't barked yet. Hank, how's, uh, how's the obvious question? How is uh, COVID-19 affecting uh, Winthrop Athletics? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. It's, it's affecting everybody in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I think everybody on a macro level is thinking about the uh, kind of the economic fallout, what will eventually happen from a financial standpoint. Um you know, all schools are worried about that. Um, big schools are worried about NCAA distributions, probably ticket sales, those kind of things. Uh, big football schools, I mean, schools like Winthrop, you know, we're worried about donations. We're worried about ticket sales. We're worried about that kind of thing. Um, but really on a, on a more micro level, our day-to-day is really consumed with the health and safety of our student-athletes. So that's been, uh, for the past few months, that has been really what we've focused on, making sure that we've 
invested the right way and being able to bring our student athletes back and make sure they're safe, make sure they're healthy, um, really make sure that, that we provide them with opportunities to, uh, to still compete, but do it in a safe way. And so, you know, at Winthrop, we have a COVID athletics task force, um, myself and our head athletic trainer chair that, uh, and it involves a couple of folks on campus as well as different people in the athletics department, our team physician, those kind of folks. And, uh, we're just getting as much info as we can, just like everybody, you know, it's, you make a plan and it, you take a couple of days and make a really good plan and then, uh, everything changes. And so you make another plan and, and you just kind of keep moving and doing what you can. And, um, there's a lot of reading. There's a lot of stuff that you've got to pay attention to trying to stay up to date. That's really the hardest thing, right? Is, um, it's unique in that reacting to the info isn't the difficult thing, but getting up to date information, uh, is, is the harder thing to do. So, um, you know, when you, when you pay attention to, you know, all kinds of news, um, you, you know, you, you, sports isn't immune from that, right? You turn on, uh, one news station and they're saying one thing, you turn on another news station, they're saying something else. And so, um, we've tried to take guidance from the NCAA. We've tried to listen to our healthcare partners, Atrium Health. We have incredible healthcare partners with them. So we've, we've tried to take advice and listen to them. Uh, we've tried to, you know, listen to guidance put out by the national office from the NCAA, that kind of thing. And, and really push forward focusing on the health and safety of our student athletes. And obviously coming up here in a couple months, we'll be focused on return to play. Uh, which is an entirely different uh, kind of beast. You know, we've got to figure out how comfortable we are, um, you know, having guests on our campus and having our student athletes go to other campus and having all that contact. And, you know, you've got to uh, remember, are, are you providing a, a safe and healthy environment for your student athletes? Um, but aside from that, are you doing it for your staff, right? You know, we've got a building full of staff and athletics department and a campus full of staff, not just in athletics, but faculty and, and other places on campus. And, you got to keep them safe too. And so sending your student athletes to, to other places and asking them to, to go play or, or are they contracting COVID anywhere? Have they been anywhere that um, maybe isn't uh, as dialed in as, as we are on COVID and um, you know, everybody's trying, but you know, the, the more um, you kind of give your student athletes the ability to, to go off into the world, the more they can bring COVID back to your campus and it can really have negative effects on your staff and, and coaches and all kinds of folks. So, you know, you're focusing on that, but you're, um, listen, at the end of the day, we want to provide an educational experience for our students and we want to provide an athletics experience for them. So we're still working through trying to figure out how to do that some days. And, um, we have some student athletes back participating in voluntary workouts. This summer's unique. Um, they can't have mandatory workouts, uh, yet. Uh, I do think that day is coming from the NCAA very soon. Um, but they can't have uh, required workouts yet with coaches. Um, but we're having a lot of voluntary stuff, so we've got a lot of procedures in place to make sure our student athletes that are back for voluntary stuff are safe and that they're screened when they come into the facility and that kind of thing. Yeah, East Carolina said for football is going to be around uh, – for mandatory, it's going to be around July 7th. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I think uh, it'll be interesting. The Competition Oversight Committee, I know, had a call today and – uh, council meets this week as well. So the council steering committee will have some stuff, I'm sure. I, I think um, total guess. Uh, I'm not in knowing any of that stuff. Uh, I know a lot of people that are, but I haven't talked to them. Uh, my my guess would be that July 7th or 13th would be the, the accurate dates for, again, those required workouts with coaches. Um, but, you know, that said, you've still got a lot of student athletes that are taking part in voluntary workouts, which are really just slightly different. Uh, strength and conditioning coaches can still be there. They just can't report back to the 
the accountable coach who was there and that kind of thing. Um, you know, so uh, as far as those required workouts, I think they're coming real soon. But a lot of a lot of schools have gone ahead and kicked their voluntary workouts in gear, uh, which has given campuses a good opportunity too to see, hey, what uh, what are we set up to handle from a COVID standpoint, and how are we going to keep our students generally safe? So it's been a good thing. Are you guys testing? I mean, I don't know if this is something you can say. Are you guys testing? Yeah, yeah, no, we can talk about it. So we're a little bit in the minority, I think, in that we didn't test everybody when they report for voluntary activity, um, but that is because we haven't had anybody come back. So we we realized, you know, South Carolina opened up a while ago with gyms, and so we realized that our student athletes that were in our, in our locale, um, they were going to the gym, right? Uh, the gyms opened up, and so they said, well, I'm going to go to the hitting facility. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go play basketball. I'm going to do whatever it is I do. And so, we, you know, we decided that it would be way safer to, to have our student athletes in a controlled environment. Right. Instead of letting them go out into the the public gyms where you can't control who else is there, you can't control how clean it is or anything like that. We're, we're, we allow them access to our facilities um, so that we can control kind of all those variables. Um, so when, when they came back for that, we did not test. Now, we'll, we'll bring back for mandatory workouts when that's allowed by the NCAA. And at that point, we'll certainly test um, anybody who's symptomatic or anybody who's been exposed to anybody who has been symptomatic or anybody who's been in a hot spot. So uh, we, we haven't finished nailing that down. Um, it will very likely look like we will um, a question from my guy, Will Anna there. It'll very, it'll very likely look like uh, we'll test those who have a reason to test. We won't test everybody. Why? Uh, that test is often good until they walk back out the door, right? We have student athletes who live with family members. We have student athletes who work, uh, we have student athletes who live with non fam uh, non student athletes, and so you know that test is really as good is really only good um, up until they leave. And so uh, we're still working through that stuff again with our healthcare partners, um, you know. And and look, if our healthcare partners say, hey, by far the best move is to test every single person who's going to come into your facility. Of course, we'll do that. Um, but as we work through that, you know, I'm sure we'll figure that piece out as far as required testing. And of course, you see the comment there from Will Landon. I guess you know him. It says, yeah, "Hank, what yeah. is your craziest story from your career in compliance in the NCAA?" Uh, you know, that's um, there's so many angles the compliance piece can take, and I, I used to do so much compliance. Will, appreciate the question, man. Glad, glad you're listening. Uh, Will Landon and I were best buds growing up, still good friends, uh, and have known each other for good grief, 25 years or so now. So. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know about the, the craziest story I've had from a compliance standpoint. Having been out of compliance, being the deputy AD now, I don't do our day to day compliance, though I do oversee it. Um, you know, I, I think you have some of those things that, uh, are stories that, um, don't seem strange to me that would to other people. We've done some crazy waivers. You know, we, I think that's the big thing. We've gotten waivers done for, for kids. And that's something I believe strongly in is, um, finding ways to get kids out there, right? That may not meet eligibility rules or they may not meet initial eligibility rules. We've done some really crazy waivers. Um, but again, I think athletics provides a great access to higher education for, for a lot of people. And so, you know, if you don't meet eligibility standards or initial eligibility or whatever it is, uh, we'll do everything we can to get you out there. Um, you know, here and there, uh, let's face it, sometimes compliance people, uh, when I was doing compliance every day, sometimes compliance people are not everyone's uh, favorite person in the athletics department. I, you know, I worked really, really hard to make sure that my coaches always knew I was on their side, um, that I was there to help them, not hurt them. Um, 
you know, you face, sometimes you have schools will, will, you know, anonymously email your conference or you and uh, say, hey, your coaches are doing X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I made sure they knew that I, I viewed the predominant part of my job as defense attorney against that kind of stuff, not as prosecutor about other stuff that they may be doing wrong. Um, and, you know, there's just different thought processes to compliance. Um, you know, I think uh, road games are always great, right? I mean, obviously, as an administrator, I would never talk to fans or anything like that. But, um, you know, we've had some neat road game wins at different places, uh, basketball games uh, at Gardner-Webb back with Chris Holtman and his group when they were there. Uh, had some really great road wins. Um, the Big South's an incredible basketball league. Uh, at Louisiana Monroe, certainly going on the road in the Sun Belt with football was really fun. Uh, you know, we we – had an unbelievable team coached by Todd Barry, who's still an unbelievable person. I mean, you talk about A-plus people, Todd Barry, he's the executive director of the AFCA now, spent some time in Greenville, was later the head coach at Army. Um, he was the head coach at Louisiana Monroe when I was there. And, and you know, we played some money games, um, so we had some tough ones. I think um, one of my funnest moments was when I walked out of the tunnel in Oklahoma onto the field. Um, that was, you know, I was so early in my athletics career when that happened. That was kind of one of those first, like, man, this is really cool. Um, we later that year had a huge win at Wake Forest, which was a lot of fun. Came back uh, to my home state, obviously. Um, and, man, I was right there when uh, the two-point conversion attempt, I think, kind of just fell through the, the uh, guy from Wake's hands. Um, tons of fun. So, you know, admittedly, uh, even though you'd obviously never talk to a fan or anything, it is still tons of fun to be on a sideline or on a bench in an away gym or an away stadium and, and get a good result. Of course, I had a lot of good memories as an East Carolina fan doing that in away games as well. Hank, were you, you, you weren't there. I'm trying to remember my years run together. I, I don't think Coach Barry was there yet. If he was, I'm not sure. Was Coach Barry there and were you there the when, years. when they, uh, when they upset Alabama? Um, I don't know if Coach Barry was there. That was well before my time there. Um, the year before I got there, I think they had just beaten Arkansas. Um, and, and so, year, so whatever year that was. Yeah, yeah, oh seven, oh eight. I think, uh, I think that was just before Coach Bear got there, but I'm not sure. Uh, but again, they had some big wins. Uh, you know, we opened up the year I was at Louisiana Monroe. We opened up on the road at Oklahoma. We had all conference quarterback coming back, unbelievable player, a lot of great players from a really successful season the year before. Um, unfortunately, I think the quarterback was a little banged up. That kind of got us, um, you know, unable to get anything going offensively, which obviously hurts your defense a lot the more they're out there, but. You know, we were excited about a lot of those games. Um, Coach Barry did a great job down there when he was at Louisiana Monroe. And um, a lot of ECU ties on that staff. Jason Nichols was on that staff. Um, you know, I, I remember I, I was so thankful I got to spend so much time with him down there, another incredible guy. Um, so I was there for some really good games, but was not there for that one specifically. When, when you deal with compliance, obviously you're, you're dealing with players, coaches, do you have to deal with, with, with fans and boosters with compliance issues? Yeah, and it varies what school you're at, right? Um, you know, uh, schools with, with um, you know, you're, you're looking at different stuff depending on the size of school you're at, right, and what programs you're dealing with. Obviously, you're a little more concerned about men's basketball and football from a booster involvement standpoint, but you, you certainly do. Um, you know, when I was I – was, uh, in charge of compliance at FIU, that's 56,000 students, 12,000 full-time faculty and staff right in the heart of Miami. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong down there. And so, uh, you know, that's a place where you have to deal a lot um, with fans and boosters. Um, you know, you also deal a lot with 
with pro guys and agents down there. We had a, a number of really good football players when I was down there, a lot of baseball players that were really good as well. Um, so you, you do, you have to deal with all that. I was really fortunate at FIU, had a strong staff of people uh, that worked with me in compliance. Um, so that, that, you know, that's part of it. Now at, at Winthrop, right? Um, we don't have as many issues with donors and boosters and we've got a really engaged fan base at Winthrop, but, um, I've made it a point to make sure that I know them and, and they know me. And so again, I don't do our day to day compliance, but do oversee some of it. And so a little bit here and there, I mean, we're engaged with it. Obviously at UNC Charlotte, um, they brought football on just a couple of years before I went up to Charlotte. My wife and I decided to come back to North Carolina. Um, you know, obviously you're working with some donors and that kind of thing. Folks were so excited for football. You know, you had to consistently, you know, remind guys, hey, um, as much as the NCAA has moved forward as an association and a lot of rules, uh, a lot of that booster stuff um, it just hasn't, right? So in, in theory, if I go into uh, the local diner and somebody says, boy, Hank, great game last Saturday, meals on us, um, you know, in theory, that's that's something that's not permissible. Right. And so we're constantly reminding folks, hey, you can't you can't go take this free meal. You can't go take this or that. And I have friends at, at big power five football schools and their problems are totally different. Right. You know, they're they're in the parking lot after practice, seeing who's driving what car and that kind of thing. You know, I've never been in a situation like that, um, you know, but again, you are in situations where you have to remind folks, hey, you can't can't go get free meals. You know, they can't hire you to to, to help move for a Saturday and pay you 500 bucks, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, you deal with those kind of things, but it, it varies a lot depending on what level you're at as well. I have a compliance question, then, and, yeah. and I, I think I know the answer. And Bubba may have asked you this off the air. But okay. uh, let's say there was this podcast or a radio <clears throat> show, or maybe it was a TV yep. show, some yep. media, and they wanted to have a verbal, a kid who's verbally committed to East Carolina or UNC or App State on their show. And they happen okay. to be a booster club member. Would that be permissible or not? Yeah, I, I'd have to look at the exact rule to figure out where I'd hang my hat. But I would tell you, as a general rule, um, I would always, always discourage um, booster conduct or booster contact of a PSA. And so if if, if it were Winthrop, right, um, you know, I, and you said, hey, you guys have signed this kid. He's coming in to play hoops for you all. Uh, we're big Winthrop um you know, big Winthrop supporters are in the Eagle Club. Uh, we'd love to have them on the show. I would, I would probably, I, you know, I haven't looked at that in a while, but my first reaction would be to have great discomfort in encouraging donor and booster contact with a, a PSA. Um, so again, I'd have to look at it to tell you for sure, and I'd be happy to do that. But my initial reaction would be, man, I, I don't think we want to get in a spot where we're encouraging our donors to reach out to our PSAs. We, we generally try to tell uh, donors and boosters, um, the legislative term for it is representative of athletics interest. We usually try to tell folks to let our coaches do the recruiting. Um, and so, I, you know, again, I'd, I'd probably discourage that, but would have to look at it kind of on a case by case basis. Kind of what so I, I can't get my tra- <laughs> I can't get my briefcase of cash to the kid. You can't even yeah. talk to him on the show, Dave. What along your briefcase? Yeah, still avoid the the briefcases of cash are generally still not a good thing. Dave, at least not for institutions. If you want, Dave, I'll hold that briefcase of cash for you, and then you can, you know, I'll just hold it for you. I was going to say, you know, it's not great for institutions, but maybe great for kids. The reason I bring that up is I was talking to a a guy um, that we have on the podcast a lot, and back in the day, with all the 30 for 30s we see on SMU and different things of how they carried themselves, that's why I brought it up. 
that very thing. Have we, the question I want to ask you, Hank, being that you're in the business, have we gotten better or people are just getting better at being more discreet about the, hey, here's the 100,000 to come to our school? I mean, you hear stories all the time. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, both. Um, you know, obviously the FBI deal was uh, absolute yeah, yeah. bombshell for anybody who didn't already know that was going on, you know, and I think we lost Hank again momentarily. Hopefully, he'll come back like he did before. Yeah, I think. Okay. Hey, you got me. Yeah, um, yep. So uh, obviously, that was um, you know the men's basketball FBI deal was a bombshell, right? For those who didn't kind of already know what was going on, that that was the worst kept secret in the world. Now that said, I, I do think a lot of that stuff has calmed down, and then I think you, there's lots of coaches out there now who just say it's not worth it. I'm not going to cheat, um, and and. Yeah, that's the big thing, right? There's a lot of coaches and, and know a lot of folks that, that are unbelievable people and wouldn't, wouldn't do it. And so I think that combined with the fact that, uh, listen, compliance has become big business. You know, at FIU, it was me and four other full-time folks and two of them were attorneys. You know, at Charlotte, it was me and three other folks. And, you know, we always had an intern who was a law student or an attorney or something like that. So, uh, you know, at some of the bigger schools, you're talking eight, 10 or 12 folks in a compliance department, um, you know, and that compliance has become big business, and I think that's kind of helped with it a lot too. And then obviously the NCAA working group that's worked through some issues with men's basketball has really, really helped. So do I think those things, those kind of big, hey, here's a duffel bag of cash, they probably still go on. I mean, listen, we'd be naive to think that nobody ever cheats anymore, right? Um, I, I do think it happens, but I, I certainly – um, kind of you hear those legendary stories about SMU or about UCLA when uh, Kareem was there, right? Those kind of things. I, I don't know that they happen, but then again, somebody may listen to this and chuckle and think, yeah, it does. You know, I, I'll say that. I'm not aware of it happening. The, uh, I guess the rule was passed. They passed the rule or am I dreaming? The players could be compensated now for their likeness and basically. Yeah. Uh, yes, it did. Not yet, yeah, not yet. So that's an ongoing saga. So what they did pass was a resolution to commit to passing rules uh, that allowed players to be, you know, paid for their name, image, and likeness. And that's been on the heels, obviously. I teach a graduate sports law course uh, at a different university, too. We talk about that all the time, right? There have been just a number of cases about that. Um, and so, no, have they passed the specific legislation? No, but like everything else, you know, NCAA, we've got a working group, and we're we're working on that as a membership and it's obviously been um you know uh pushed forward a lot quicker because a lot of states just said fine we're going to take matters into our own hand california i think started that trend a while ago and i think within a couple months there was something like 28 or 30 states who um had proposed similar legislation so we don't know exactly what the legislation is going to look like it's not passed or in place yet um, but certainly within the next 12 months that'll be something that i think is done and uh who knows how it looks um you know, it's one of those things that um, I think there's a lot of folks that support. There's still some people that have some questions and concerns about it. It reminds me a lot of 1984 Oklahoma Board of Regents case, right? Um, they said that schools could and conferences could negotiate their own TV contracts. And that's what kind of led to the proliferation of TV contracts eventually. Well, in 1984, nobody was thinking about $4 billion for a conference for their games, right? And so, so it was just kind of like, yeah, sure, the, the schools – it was an antitrust case, but the schools should be able to have their own, uh, you know, schools and conferences negotiate their own contracts. And the dissent in that case, so 5-4 decision, said, hey, if we do this, this is going to lead to football stadiums that look like Taj Mahal's, and we're eventually going to do away with the amateur model of college athletics. 
um, unbelievable glimpse into the future there by whoever wrote that dissent in 1984, because here we are, we've got incredible facilities all over the place and we're on the verge of passing name, image, and likeness. So I do think in the next 12 months, we'll get something hammered out and get it into the legislation. Yeah. Do you think there'll be a cap on, on, on uh, how much kids can make? I don't know what the model is going to look like. I know there's a lot of different models getting pushed around. I'm not sure um, what it's going to look like. Um, legally, I think there can still be a cap, um, at least at the federal level, right? So that's why a bunch of states are saying you can, you got to do it. I mean, people are going to rely on state law. I mean, it, it, the whole deal legally is just messy. Do I think it's going to be uh, at an NCAA level where there'd be a cap? I don't know. You know, I, I think I, I know that people are talking about that. I know that's a heavy part of the conversation. Um, it, you know, there kind of already is, right? We passed cost of attendance legislation several years ago, so they can be compensated that way. And there's other stuff. I mean, I think student athletes are not paid yet. Um, but, uh, I, this is not my opinion on whether or not they should be, but from a factual standpoint, they're, they're taken care of better than they ever have been in the past, which is great, right? It's a great step in the right direction. So, um, will there be a cap? I'm not sure. Um, I, I know that you'll see structured, really structured legislation. Rather than a cap, my suspicion is that um, schools can't be involved in arranging for name, image, and likeness benefits. I think that will be the check, right, instead of just saying, well, you can make up to 50K. I think what's going to end up happening is schools can't be involved in it. Uh, that will probably be the, the internal check on that legislation more so than a cap. But, again, I don't, I don't know that that's been decided yet. I think they're still hammering out the details. Yeah, I just find it interesting, you know, it's, Somebody like, for example, at East Carolina, old Nagler's can advertise for Greenville, Toyota, but you know the 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 offensive lineman that's protecting him probably ain't going to get many opportunities to make money off of his name. Um, sure, so it'd be interesting to see if that caused dissension on the team. Um, yeah, be- well, and you you talk about or you know historically, courts have said players uh, are not employees and cannot unionize. I mean, that's been across the board. Nobody has ever said that it's okay. There was the NLRB case, um, you know, in, in Chicago with Northwestern that they had one regional person say, Hey, you know, uh, you know, maybe they can, but the, the national NLRB board later kicked out on jurisdictional grounds. And so across the board with decisions, courts have refused to say student athletes are employees and can unionize. Um, so that'll be interesting. Can they unionize to now say, Hey, uh, we want, as a team, uh, you know, $5 royalty for every jersey that's sold. You know, will we get to that point? Probably, right? How does it look? That I don't know. So, yeah, that's a lot of interesting stuff. It is. Oh, you got a question? Yeah, Hank, uh, during your time at FIU, did that overlap with Coach Shank and Court Shankwiler? Yeah, it did. It did. Um, I, I had a ball getting to know those guys. I did a Wednesday uh, lunchtime Bible study with them. In fact, um, just a ball getting on. I got to c- catch up with Shank last year when I was down for the uh, ECU and Cincinnati football game. I uh, got to chat with him for just a few minutes. Uh, unbelievable guy. Court, uh, unbelievable coach as well, and and um, another A-plus guy. So it did overlap with them. Um, always great to have two folks who, who love East Carolina the way I did around and just, you know, a sense of familiarity. You know, it was it was really neat to have those guys down there and um, just get to know them better. You know, obviously I knew court uh, in high school and stuff, but getting to know them both. I, I, I lived with a lot of players in college that 
uh, were coached by Shank and they all just think the world of, of that family. And so getting to know them professionally and personally was a real treat for sure. Hank, I know you follow the program closely at East Carolina. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on coach Mike Houston? Oh, I, I think he's an absolute winner big time, big time. And, and what makes me really excited? Um, I don't know another coach, uh, who I've talked to that knows him who hasn't been over the moon with, with great things to say about him. And so I think he's an absolute winner. I'm really excited. He's, he's here. Uh, I'm just really excited. You know, again, I grew up, uh, going to East Carolina games. They had it rolling. The stadium was packed and, you know, knocking off, uh, top 25 teams whenever we felt like it and that kind of thing. And so, um, I, I'm ecstatic that he's there. I think he's an incredible coach. I think he'll do an incredible job. And I'm, I'm really excited to watch that program really get back, uh, to the level that, that obviously we'd all love to see it at. Hank, um, obviously you love Rock Hill and uh, Winthrop, but uh, um, I'm sure at some point you'd love to come back to Greenville and, and be a pirate again. You know, we've we've talked about that. My wife and I have talked about that, and um, you know, I don't know. I don't. It's uh, one of those deals. I I, I think uh, they're just in incredible hands over there. Uh, I don't know John Gilbert, but I know some folks who do. And you talk about another person who, who the first thing anybody ever says is he's a good guy. Uh, which is fantastic to hear. Um, you know, at some point, do you want it to happen? My wife and I have talked about it. It, it. it may be such a labor of love that kills me. It may not be the best idea for me. You know, I, I might be uh, too invested. Um, you know, mixing, uh, I've got an East Carolina tattoo right here. So I think, you know, mixing uh, something that you care so much about, um, you know, professionally, is that the healthiest thing? My wife and I have talked a lot about it. Um, you know, who knows? Like you said, I, I just love Rock Hill. Could not be happier. I uh, work for a, uh, not just an unbelievable AD, but he's an elite human being. Has become somebody I'm very close with. And so love the opportunity to work for him. Love our student athletes and our community here, like you mentioned. Um, so we'll see. You know, you never know, um, you know, uh, what, what happens down the road. And, you know, another thing my wife and I talk about is, uh, we try to not look too far down the road. You know, I, I had a twin brother I lost unexpectedly a couple years ago that a lot of folks in Greenville knew and loved. And, um, boy, that really just brings perspective. You know, he, 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 so we've tried to not look three, four, five, eight, ten years down the road and just really enjoy where we are. So that's what we're doing at Rock Hill right now and, and at Winthrop. Hank, um, at different points in this conversation, the word unity's come up. So just talk about it from a Division One athletics department perspective like you have uh, with everything that's going on in our society right now. Obviously, you guys don't have football, but you, you have a lot of other sports. Um, folks from a variety of races and, you know, different socioeconomic backgrounds, so on and so forth. So just talk about some of the things that you guys do to uh, promote that um, that like mindset and just uh, – or maybe not even so much a light mindset, but just understanding within your athletic department. Yeah, absolutely. Good question. I, I don't know how you can talk about anything without chatting about it today. And one thing that encourages me is uh, how invested today's students are. You know, I think you forget about student athletes and just look at them as students. How invested today's students are in, in purposefully acting for the change that they want. It's a really powerful thing to get to see up close and get to watch every day. Uh, you know, as a department, um, we've had a town hall meeting. Uh, you know, we're setting up different speaking opportunities. We have a whole uh, list of stuff that we're doing um, that we're really excited about that we think can create actionable change in our community and others. And, and the biggest thing we can do is 
uh, listen to our student athletes, give them a place to talk, give them a place to learn um, about each other and, and about the world. And um, like you mentioned, just figure out ways to come together and move forward together. Uh, it's, it's been a treat, right? It's been a rare pleasure to see uh, young people, college students who care so deeply about a cause bigger than themselves. Uh, and, and I've been really, really happy to to allow them to do that and to just listen. You know, we haven't had to do a lot um, as an athletics department because our students are incredible. I mean, they're pushing and driving the change that they want to see on our campus and in our community. And it's, it's unbelievable. But, you know, we're also taking steps to make sure we've educated our staff, to make sure we've educated our coaches, to make sure we're all aware of, of issues, you know, that our uh, student athletes who, who are people of color face every day and, you know, it's, it's just not something that we cannot pay attention to. And so, you know, we have different stuff that we're doing, whether it's, you know, books that we're suggesting to one another and um, a speaker series or, or just conversations that we've encouraged everybody to have. Uh, we have a really close, uh, we're a small department. So we have, a you know, 70, maybe 70 to 80 folks. And so uh, a lot of us know each other and, and we care about each other and we've had some great conversations um, so those are just a lot of the things that we've done and, and we've been really intentional about all the stuff we've talked about doing. We've been really intentional by saying that these are our first steps. And that's probably the biggest thing that we've committed to doing is, is recognizing that what we're doing right now are our first steps and we're going to have to continue in the future to really keep working together and paying attention to this deal. Hank, being that you're in Rock Hill, we had on our previous episode, we had the voice of the Carolina Panthers, Mick Mixon, uh, talking about mm-hmm. the, yeah. Facility being there with David Tepper moving the practice facility from Bank yep. of America Stadium to you guys. Uh, talk about living in Rock Hill and uh, for eventually for the practice facility to be there in Rock Hill. And what does that bring to that community? Yeah, I mean, that, it's unbelievable for Rock Hill, right? And, and Rock Hill, Football City, USA, a lot of great football talent uh, out of Rock Hill. And it's just unbelievable. For Rock Hill, the growth that's going on, it's, it's everything that you would expect. Uh, that new facility will only be a couple miles from our campus. And so, of course, we're trying to figure out ways to, to work with them and that kind of thing uh, to, to make sure that, um, you know, we're, we're all aligned really as a sports community in Rock Hill to make sure that we're doing everything we want and need to do in our community. It's been uh, it's been really neat. I know my boss, the athletics director, uh, has had a lot of, of talks with the Panthers about different stuff that we can do, right? Things from uh, like uh, 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 athletic training or, or, or sports medicine, you know, things you can do from that standpoint, you know, different internship opportunities we can collaborate and work together on. Uh, you know, I think that facility down in Rock Hill is going to be absolutely incredible. I mean, Charlotte, uh, I tell everybody all the time, I, I didn't think anything could top Miami. We loved Miami. Um, but Charlotte uh, has quickly become a place that we really adore, the old Charlotte area. Um, and, and that certainly includes Rock Hill, right? Uh, sometimes uh, we tell folks, our friends that are in Charlotte, they, they're all over Charlotte. You can be over in Rock Hill. We actually live in downtown Belmont. Um, of course, I'm six or seven days a week in Rock Hill and consider it every bit uh, my community. Um, but, you know, it, the whole Charlotte area is growing like crazy, which has been fantastic to see. I think we've just become the 15th biggest city in the United States. We're 16th, so we gained on somebody. Um but, you know, the Panthers are going to have tremendous economic impact. You talk about, um, you know, people that are going to come to that facility. I think the idea and the hope is for it to be something similar to what the, the Cowboys have um, to where, you yeah. you know, you've got retail and shops and all kinds of stuff. Um, just the, the traffic 
uh, that it's going to bring to Rock Hill from an economic standpoint is going to be really fantastic. And, uh, you know, as a, you know, admittedly a Panthers fan, I'm incredibly excited about the direction of the team with, uh, new ownership. I mean, he just, um, you know, really seems invested in doing things the right way and, and hopefully putting a winner out on the field. And, you know, what I do know about him, uh, you know, I've, I've probably seen and, and read a lot of the same stuff, uh, you know, you guys and other people have, um, and just a lot of stuff to be excited about. I think he thinks big and, and goes after it. So really excited about that for sure. No doubt about it. Bubba, did you have another question? I guess, I guess, I guess not. What about you, Kyle? Did you have another question, Frank? No, I'm good. Um, thank you. Just uh, keep, keep doing a good job at Winthrop and uh, maybe one day, uh, whether you want to or not, we'll see you back in Grateful. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to that recruit you good. back. <laughs> that sounds good. Hey, I'm sorry about the internet issues. Like I said, it's Murphy's Law, I suppose. First time I've had a Zoom meeting in four months that didn't go well. So, Believe me, sorry about that. I think it's our bad luck on not, not you. Um, <laughs> thank, uh, uh, actually we got one. Uh, let's see. Hey, hang on one second. We got yeah. a comment here for you. Here we go. Uh, Drew Meadows, Hank, you guys have one of the few varsity sports programs in the region. Do you see the, that arena taking off even more now with the COVID situation? Yeah, great question. So for those who aren't familiar with esports, um, it is just what it sounds like. It is esports, electronic sports, uh, gaming. Um, it, when we went to start esports and hire an esports coach, uh, you know, I, I can listen and talk for hours and hours. Uh, and I had no idea about esports, right? And there's different, there's different games, right? There's League of Legends. There's all these different things. And, and, you know, asking somebody on your esports team who, who's like a, a League of Legends player to then go play a different video game, uh, or, 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 or a different contest or competition would be like asking your your volleyball team to play golf. You know, it's just entirely different. And so I was blown away. Uh, there's more people that watched uh, eSports, a couple of different games. There's more people that watched the final than the AFC or NFC championship game two years ago. And so it's just something that you've got to pay attention to. It's incredible um, the, that industry right now it is taking off. Um, we're, we have a top five national eSports program. There's, um, and what Drew meant by varsity, uh, our esports is actually under the Department of Athletics, which is unique. There's three or four schools in the whole country that have that. And so, wow. uh, I, I, I love it. It's been incredible. They've been a great addition to our campus and to our, um, to our athletics department. They're top five team in the country, which I mean, I, listen, it, it's, I remember when was it 2011 or 12 East Carolina won a club baseball championship and I was fired up, you know, and, and, and I, I would just fight the narrative all day that people would say these are not sports or whatever. I mean, these are our students who are, who are competing and excelling at what it is that they do. And I just couldn't be more proud of that group. Uh, and what they bring to our campus, top five in the country and anything is a really special deal. And so, uh, I, I think that esports is going to continue to boom. Uh, you know, this is a generation of, of kids who are going to grow up being so technology driven and so literate when it comes to technology there's no way it won't right so uh i i you know i learned so much there's there's you know a point of diminishing return they only practice for a certain amount of time every day because then your reflexes get bad and your eyesight gets bad and you develop bad habits just like in golf right you don't go hit 500 golf balls because you get tired and develop bad habits same thing in esports and so uh i it's an incredibly uh interesting field and interesting competition 
certainly with COVID, right? Uh, it's going to continue to boom because folks can sit in their house and do it as long as their internet's better than mine. Uh, you know, they can sit in their house and play. So certainly with COVID, I think it's going to boom. We're working with the city of Rock Hill. I'm chairing up uh, a deal where we're working with the city of Rock Hill right now to try to um, use one of the city facilities as sort of an esports hub. Uh, and our, our team will play there to generate some buzz around the community about esports and that kind of thing. It is absolutely booming right now. And uh, yeah, Drew, I do certainly think that um, in the COVID world, there's going to be a lot of parents who are very willing to let their kids sit inside and play video games as opposed to potentially going out and getting sick. Uh, and then when they find out their kid can get a college scholarship, they're, they're certainly going to be in support of it. And then when they find out that, uh, I don't know what the game was, but a couple years ago, a 16 or 17 year old kid won the world championship and won 3 million bucks. So I think there's a lot of, uh, parents that'll be fully supportive of that. So I think esports is primed to boom. I think it was before COVID. And I think that's, uh, COVID's really only kind of sped that up. Only hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was never, I was never a gamer guy. I was never a video game guy. Um, uh, uh, one of my old college roommates, uh, Drew Sutton, and, uh, you know, he used to force me to sit there and watch him play all the time. But, um, you know, I was never a, a huge, uh, gamer, but boy, it's really interesting. Now, what I started to say, Kyle, your eligibility clock hasn't started ticking yet. You still have five to play for. There you go. <laughs> hey, if you need, look, if you, if you need a player for, uh, any old school eighties game, Galaga, yeah. don't yeah. miss I'll be your Huckleberry. <laughs> Little Zelda. There you go. You look like Ronnie Dangerfield, you're going back to school. <laughs> One of my favorite movies from the eighties. Uh Hank, I'll tell you what, man, I'm very excited about that. I'll have to um, one final question I have you. What's the, if you don't mind BB nosing it, what's the cost of that kind of program for esports to run for the budget wise for sports? That that was just uh question comes to mind yeah good question i mean if you have really good internet um you know and you have computers and some headsets i mean uh it's not terrific right i mean you you admittedly you do need scholarship right now you have to go give players scholarships to to lure them to your campus and it may be like an equivalency sport right you're not you're not giving folks the full ride but you know we have a lot of equivalency sports in ncaa so um Whatever you decide as an institution to put into your scholarship budget, then you've got to pay a coach. Um, past that, it's extremely negligible. I think you can start a program. Total startup costs fifty to sixty-five thousand dollars, probably, and then recurring cost uh, annually of whatever your scholarship number is, plus a salary for your coach, and then maybe some. Uh, there, there is some travel involved. There's a few times a year they might go to Pennsylvania for a tournament or go somewhere else for a tournament. Um, but it's relatively negligible. I think you can get started for 50 to 65 and then determine from there how much scholarship and salary you want to put into it. The Barber University, you can start one, Kyle. There you go. That could be your first sport. <laughs> there you go. Hank, thank you so much, man. I appreciate <laughs> you. I know we probably kept you longer, uh, but it means a lot that you come on. No Hopefully problem. Back long again. Yeah, I couldn't have enjoyed it more. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thanks, and thanks for listening to the podcast too. Appreciate it very much. We have at least one listener now, guys. That's great. You got it. You got it. <laughs> have That's a it. good one, man. Here I am. I know you got a lot more than I know you got a lot more than me. You guys do a great job. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I enjoyed uh, meeting you, and uh, definitely look forward to having you back on. Thanks, Hank. Take care. All right. Bye, bye. Hank Harewood, uh, great. Uh, there's Bubba. He finally now you now there you are. Soon as Hank's gone, Bubba said, like, wait a minute, what if Bubba and Hank are the same person? Yeah, I, 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 know, 
I know I'm going to hear it from Hank about this, but the the reason I just now uh, made my appearance with my face for radio is because I had to take the long way home so I wouldn't lose service more than what I did. <laughs> well, it happens. I think one thing is for sure in this country. No, I was just going to yeah. say, Dave, you know I'm telling the truth because remember that, that Mick Mixon interview, uh, how I kept you waiting for about 10 minutes. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking Bubba was going to come on, and I didn't want to, like, snub Bubba from the interview. And so I just kept – before um, Mick was talking, and obviously I love Mick. Mick can talk for hours, you know. Um, he's a great guy and very knowledgeable about many things, including life. And I was just waiting for Bubba, like, <laughs> is it Bubba going to come on? And then it was just the – it's the world we live in, I guess, the, the technology as far as the cell service and that sort of things can be – and maybe that's ge- maybe geography – is some of it, but it's just uh, sometimes it's it can be very frustrating. So anyway, we've got uh, a lot of great content coming up, Bubba. I know in the next couple weeks, um, but uh, certainly on Thursday night we got another big show. Yeah, we do on on Thursday. That's what we were going to have Charles Arbuckle, but unfortunately he had to uh, reschedule. So that's still to be determined. Um, but in addition to to Charles, uh, we will catch up. We will catch up with. Um, Sorry, I drew a blank. David Glenn. David well, Glenn. We'll, we'll, catch, we'll catch up with DG, David Glenn, and then um, a, a to-be-determined guest. But John. In a, in, <laughs> sorry. John. John, John Arbuckle, yeah. Uh, guys, I know that season tickets are going very well. want to remind folks, great time to be a pirate. A lot of great things are happening. Uh, 1-800-DIAL-ECU if it's during the business hours or anytime, ecupirates.com. Hey, let's have a huge year. Mike Houston's going to do big things. Let's support Mike Houston and his coaching staff. And if you want to, for the athletics part department to grow, then, um, we've had all the, we've talked about this before, Kyle. I know you've said it a couple of times. It'll be my turn to say it. What's happened in the past? Leave it in the past. Let's actually support the program by the athletics. I'm talking about by buying a whole bunch of season tickets. And who knows, if we sell twenty five or 50000 we won't do that. But let's say we sell 25 <laughs> season tickets. 25. <laughs> we'll sell 25. Yeah. No, I know that. I'm I'm joking. I'm being sarcastic. That. that would be nice. That would be nice. No, if we sell seriously um, 15000 16000 is what I'm still hopeful for. I know that's a long shot, but that's what the administration wanted um, before COVID. And so we built beat the COVID goal. And so why not in a couple months? I mean, you never know what will happen. Yeah. I mean, that'd be great. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to shoot for 12. I know that it's high, but I want to, I, I want to keep that bar high. If high. I say, yeah, well, Hey, um, 11, what if I just said 11,000? So we get the 11,000 and, you know, let's put the bar a little high for us. We're East Carolina. That would be nice to have the bar high again, instead of, uh, having it too low. But anyway, um, I know we have a lot of uh, great things coming up. And uh, by the way, before we go, Bub, I want to remind folks about speaking of season tickets, we have our season ticket sweepstakes. I want people to get involved. A pair of season tickets, who knows, that might be your only way to get in the stadium this year. Yeah, follow us on Twitter, the Sports OBJ. You can, uh, in addition to following us, in order to get your name entered into the hat, um, like and retweet there, and then uh, it outlines the details of the contest, the other ways you can put your name into the hat multiple times, going to Facebook and sharing and liking, following, 
and then also um, subscribing wherever you listen and then subscribing on YouTube. Yeah, if you, if you happen to be on our Facebook page watching this and you haven't liked our Facebook or Twitter, even if you've already liked the Facebook, if you haven't liked the Twitter, if you haven't subscribed, go do that and you'll be entered in a chance to win season tickets. One of the easiest promotions ever in the history of broadcasting, thanks to our Bubba Rosenbaum. He made it very, very easy, and it's for a huge prize, and we're trying to support the university by doing that and to get the buzz out. And um, certainly with uh, COVID, don't worry about whether we're going to have a season or not. We're going to have the season, and uh, just simply go to ecpirates.com again or 1-800-DIAL-ECU to get your tickets, and uh, also you can register when uh, the tickets we have here. All right, guys, do you have anything before we go? Nah, good All right. Thanks to Coach Curry. Thanks to Hank Harewood. Appreciate both of them very much. Thanks to Bubba and Kyle. I am Dave Richmond, and you've been listening and watching the Sports Objective right here. Good night, everybody. Go Pirates. You've been listening to the Sports Objective podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective, and the objective is sports.